0: Hello and welcome to a free preview of Greatest of All Talk. Maybe on the next two, just make them a little bit smaller. It'd be my only note because I thought, you know, the detail work looked good. His white jersey on the statue really popped, sort of like Dirk's white jersey. You'll remember on that fadeaway statue, which is really, really cool. The white jersey pops well on those bronze statues. And uh, I think the, the fans are really going to love it. Jeannie Buss predicted Lakers fans will have marriage proposals at the statue. Hmm. In honor of Kobe and Vanessa... What do you think? Looking back to you and Alice, would you have rather done it in front of the Kobe statue? I mean, I don't really know.
1: There's definitely a pretty big cross section of Lakers fans for whom Kobe is sort of like a Christ like figure. Now that I know this statue is 20 feet tall, it's sort of like the Christ the Redeemer of downtown Los Angeles. So who knows what sort of stuff is going to go on
0: <laughs> in the shadow of that statue? Can I, but can I, I don't tell know. you? So someone was asking me at the the game about the statue and i thought the statue was so big that I I guessed to that person that it was 90 feet tall. That's how tall it is. <laughs> and then I, like, I went back and double-checked the specs, and it was 19, and I was like, all right, well, yeah, I, I overshot by a little bit. But that's how big it feels, man. It's weird.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I look forward to checking it out in person. So one note from the game. Um, actually, two notes of appreciation. We have a lot of trade talk to get through, but one note from that Lakers-Nuggets game. Jamal Murray, man, it Mm. is just nuts how great he is at this point in his career. And watching him close in that fourth quarter was a delightful way to end my Thursday night here on the East Coast. So I just love to see what his game has turned into and how clinical he is on a regular basis. And then on a related note, sticking in the Western Conference, the other guy that I wanted to shout out from this week... Watching Lowry Markinen just mow down the thunder a couple days ago, I mean, we have talked a good bit about different jazz characters, but there have been a couple different times this year watching Utah where I watch Lowry and I just come away dumbfounded at how good that guy is. Like There are just so many ways he can now beat you in the half court. He's automatic from like eight different spots. He's got that quick release, the high release point, and just... Comparing him now and remembering how lost Arizona. he looked five years ago. Yeah, Arizona. It's just like yeah. a, a pretty crazy basketball story, and he's another guy who's a joy to watch. And I say all that to say that in the wake of our Trey Young, Scotty Barnes conversation, I can't believe those guys are all-stars. Scotty Barnes especially is just such a like stat nerd all-star who shouldn't actually be allowed in the all-star game. And Jamal Murray and Lowry Markkinen are so much better than the fringe East All Stars that are actually going to end up going to Indianapolis now. And so I have to on Sharp Tech and did the ring on the part of the strategy bundle. There's a, a concept called being right. You get being right points for the conferences this year because it's really pretty bleak toward the bottom of the East. And the West is just like overflowing with talent. And the fact that Jamal Murray and and Lowry Markinen are not going to be all-stars is pretty amazing. But in Murray's case, at least... Who gives a shit? He's an NBA champion, and I don't think he's all that stressed oh, out about it. But um, I,
0: I bet you he'd like to go. You know, I mean, we we've heard of all these players saying, "I'd like to be selected." He's never been. It feels like he should go. Um, yeah, no, I told you previously that the JV West could beat the East best team. That's especially true with Embiid injured now. There's no question in my mind they would run circles around those guys.
1: <laughs> I um, mean, it, it would be a pretty tough fight. Honestly, it's like Giannis and Tatum would have their work cut out for them.
0: Yeah, and you know, you mentioned Murray and, and his late game play. I think last week we were gushing over Jalen Brunson and how nails he is. Maybe we need to use the back of the hammer to take back that compliment and give the real nails to uh to Jamal Murray there because he is so poised, he's so hungry, ruthless, seeking out his opportunities. But, you know, to me what's even more important the Denver team concept, late in Games, where Murray can do all that he does and make any big shot seemingly 100% of the time, Jokic just orchestrating to find wide-open dunks or wide-open three-pointers on basically every possession, and these other guys just running in such sync because they've played so many minutes together over these last couple of games, like their top five guys— um it is effortless for them how they execute down the stretch and if those five guys are healthy i think they're going to win the championship again that's the the mm-hmm. biggest question to me is like okay if if somebody goes down along the way can they plug in a watson or like you know brown plays more minutes or whatever um, if their starting five it makes it through the playoffs unscathed, even though they have to play big minutes and Malone really leans on them in the postseason and so forth, like they execute so much better in late-game scenarios and the quality of their shots on every single one of those final possessions, whether it was Murray finding the mid-ranger, Murray draining the, the uh, three off of the... Little handoff from Jokic, whether it was Jokic finding Gordon and Watson for dunks, late wide open corner three. They just have every single counter. Every single guy on yep. the court is a threat, and they trust each other. There's no selfishness. There's no ball dominance. Um, they don't slow down and grind down. Like they are the opposite of the Celtics in those late game moments. And you know, th- newsflash, that could be important during the playoffs. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. I- I'm kind of torn between well. Do we want to see someone really challenge them and take a big run at the king? Or do we want to just grant them health and watch them toast through the playoffs? A and now we get to- yeah. yeah. And then now we have to talk about them in kind of a different light. I don't know. Which side of the fence are you on there?
1: Uh, well, I don't know. I just hope that they stay healthy. I do think that they will be tested in the West. And then again, in the finals, I think a Celtics nugget series would go six or seven. And it's not a guarantee that the nuggets end up coming out on top, but I just love watching guys mature the way Jamal Murray has. And, and you said it, I think what's most impressive about the way they play offense and then Murray in particular is, Is compared to some of his peers, like he's never forcing anything. He lets the game come to him, and then he just is so natural at picking his spots to just break teams like down the stretch, like the Lakers didn't feel like he was forcing any of that offense. And he just bit by bit, possession by possession uh, broke their spirit and they just didn't have an answer in the final minute or two there. Um, But the Lakers do deserve credit for fighting back in that game. That was impressive.
0: And do you remember recently where I was saying, when you go watch the bucks in person, you're not afraid of them anymore. Like you were 2019, 2020 that Mm -hmm. era where like, they're just mowing people down. They're so locked in, so well organized. Too. Yeah, they're they're bullying people. Um the Nuggets are so demoralizing to play against. You can see it from like Christian Wood's body language when Joker hits that three over the top of him. You can see it from how frantic LeBron got late game. LeBron's getting no good shots down the stretch. You know He's all sped up, uh, forcing things. Their offense is kind of uh, coming apart in the last three or four minutes, very deja vu to some of the late game uh, situations from the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, that happened in every and-
1: game for them, basically.
0: Right. And there's a buzzsaw. And like it's not an accident. Like they're that good. They're that well oiled. They complement each other. And both Joker and Murray are just absolutely mentally tough. Like they do not get distracted. They don't get thrown off their game when they're locked in. Um, they have the feel that the Bucks don't have that I was talking about earlier. When they come in the building, you know, maybe you're not like ooing and aahing about, you know, Joker's leaping ability or oh my god, he's so big. Like it's not that. But once you see them run, you're like, "Man, how are you gonna stop this? Like you just gotta hope that like three guys have an off night, um otherwise, you're toast real quick on Lowry. One thing I try hard to do, especially in the top one hundred rankings, is when people have the big breakout season to really think long and hard about was it a fluke? Are they gonna stick? Are yep. they this guy? Do they come back to earth or are they ready to take another step?" And psychologically, it is so easy when a guy has a big breakthrough season like Lowry did a couple of years ago to then recognize the breakout when it's happening and then sort of take him for granted after it happens. And I'm guilty as charged when it comes to Lowry on that 100%, right? It's sort of like he established himself as his all-star level player. Okay, we we talk about him a ton as he's making that one-year journey, but once he's there, it's like, well, what's the new story? What's the Mm -hmm. new flavor of the month? How great does he have to play to kind of continue to impress? And he falls to the the wayside a little bit conversationally and just, you know, in terms of who the the, the best players might be, the all-star selections and so forth. So I thought that was a great point from you. I mean, he's still absolutely balling. I also think he's one of these beneficiaries of the modern NBA, though, right? Because a lot of the stuff that he's working on, it fits just perfectly within how the, the the league has trended towards offense. And, you know, I was a little bit skeptical of him coming out of college because it's like, all right, well, the profile says you're a shooter who doesn't play defense. Well, yeah. I'm not totally sure if I want to, you know, waste a lottery pick on a guy like that, but he has more than lived up to his draft status um, all these years later. And he is a perfect fit in this modern game, which was all about spacing, all about, you know, like one-on-one skill level, being able to take advantages of defenses that can't uh, keep up. I mean, he's a stud. I don't understand how he was even in trade rumors. Like, that was kind of (laughs) percolating. (laughs) I was like, why would they ever trade this guy? Isn't he perfect for the Utah Jazz? Like, aren't, isn't like, you know, he's fallen from heaven into these guys' lap.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it, honestly, what happened is on the last episode, I was talking about Jalen Green potentially being traded for a guy who's a rock solid all star. I didn't realize that Lowry Markinen was not a Western Conference all star this year. He was the guy that the Rockets had called about. And, That's just insane to me. Like, if Houston calls, try to trade me Jalen Green and a couple of picks for Lowry Markkinen, I'm blocking Raphael Stone's number and never answering the phone again.
0: (laughs) What, what do you think Danny's response is in that situation, right? Because we know, know Lowry is a Danny guy, and there's no chance Jalen Green's a Danny guy.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, and look, I'm not giving up on Jalen Green. I'm not selling my stock, but it is just really satisfying to see what Markkanen's career has turned into, um, and, and Jamal Murray as well. But that is all a nice segue to the trade conversation. Winners and losers, an annual tradition. And, you know... You started by saying it was a quiet trade deadline. Ding, ding, ding. You were correct. But I answer that with a bang, bang, bong, Ben, because the whole world fell in love with the Knicks on Thursday afternoon. I'll read ESPN, the New York Knicks acquired Boyan Bogdanovich and Alec Burks from the Detroit Pistons in exchange for guards Evan Fournier, Quentin Grimes, Malachi Flynn, Ryan Archidiacono. uh, I knew I was going to struggle with that name, and two second-round picks on Thursday. Um, And I'll read this note we got from Nick. He says, As was predicted, the trade deadline was relatively dull, parentheses, sympathy to anyone involved with ESPN's trade deadline special. Though we didn't get the seismic deal that would get the talking heads chirping, we did get the types of deals that NBA nerds love to obsess over, and the general consensus seems to be that the Knicks won the deadline. I don't get it. Yes, the Knicks objectively got better. This is certainly the best Knicks team since the 2013 Mellow Squad, and that alone is worth something. They also didn't give up a single first-round pick to bolster their bench. That being said, the Knicks also traded away their two best young players for a guy that already needs elbow surgery, and two dudes that are almost certainly rentals. Even if healthy, is a big three of Brunson, OG, and Randall actually scaring anyone? I guess that's my thought. It feels like the Knicks traded away their best assets to ensure that they'll make it to the second round. Maybe they beat the Cavs or Bucks, but the Celtics, come on. Throw in that the Knicks will inevitably have to overpay OG this summer. And overall, it seems like they got older, more expensive, and they're ultimately still not a true contender. Does that really make them winners? So Ben, I put Knicks question to you as we kick things off here. Are the Knicks actually winners or is the basketball internet overreacting here?
0: Well, I appreciate the counter-argument. Um, I, I think it's well-reasoned, well-explained from the listener. Um, I do think that they're winners. I think they're pretty clear winners. Um, I would push back on this idea, okay, yes, they got older, but they're not old. Like, none of their main guys are 30-plus, right? OG yeah. sort of a prime player. Brunson's a prime player. Randall, you know, I guess you can call him a prime player, even though he's not my cup of tea. I mean, he's not on the downside of his career, right? So, um, I think that they made some win-now moves that maybe don't have a championship ceiling. I would grant that point, but they didn't compromise in any way their ability to take the next step. And I do think sometimes it's important to not only look at a team like the Knicks in a vacuum and take into account the context of that organization. Having a team that fans can be proud of, that has a real chance to make the conference finals, that could potentially take the next step because they have flexible contracts, because they have future draft picks, because they're in New York, and maybe lure a big fish that they haven't been able to really get since a Carmelo Anthony. Um, That is such a massive W compared to where they've been at almost any point in the last 10 or 15 years. So yeah, maybe that's a little bit of a a cute story, you know, uh, lipstick on the pig kind of around the edges of like, oh, finally the Knicks are relevant. But we have been waiting and screaming for this for so long, and they definitely deserve real credit for it. I also think they're just winners on the terms of this particular trade. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is incredible what they gave up to get two rotation players, right? And I, Alec Burks has had a tough year. Watch him immediately play much better in New York. That would, you know, be such a dagger for the, the Detroit Pistons fans. <laughs> but, but Bogdanovich is a solid player. He is arguably the best player who got traded um, on Thursday, right? In terms wow. of everybody, they didn't they didn't give up a first round pick. Um, they didn't really give up any A-list prospects. He's talking about the Knicks' best young players. Like, okay, I, I, Quentin R. Grimes. <laughs> yeah, RJ, Quinton Grimes, and quickly. Like, of those guys who actually have real upside to me, it's quickly. But we'll see. He still has a lot to prove as he's taken on kind of a bigger role in Toronto. It hasn't been this immediate flip the switch, everything is going great. Um, you look at the pieces they gave up, though. Fournier hasn't played in two years, plays no defense, isn't going to ever be a playoff player. Grimes, who is kind of solid, you know, nothing spectacular, but should you know, be able to bring the Pistons some level of help, probably wasn't going to make a real big difference in the playoffs either this year, next year, or the year after. Malachi Flynn, who just showed up uh, in their previous trade for OG at Anobi and is not even a rotation guy. And then Ryan Ar- Archie Dinocchio, however you pronounce that, Do you know how many points he scored this year? He's played in 20 games. I'm going to give you uh, one guess. How many points do you think he scored in 20 games?
1: So my guess would be, let's give him 25, 30 points. I like him because he's part of the Villanova gang, and I enjoy that Knicks subplot. Uh, Has he scored more than 25 points in his time with New York this season?
0: Uh well it was a good guess um unfortunately you overshot by 25 to 30 points the guy <laughs> has <laughs> the, the guy is scoreless in 20 appearances. And granted, he's only played all like 40 heart, minutes. Because it's like all garbage time. But if you had to guess if one GM was going to trade for a guy who hadn't scored at 20 games this year, who would it be? And of course, it would be Troy Weaver. <laughs> so I look at this deal and it's like, well, New York, I mean, they really didn't give up anything. They're bolstering positions of need. They're giving themselves a little bit more depth uh, you know, on the second unit. There's no question about it. And it didn't crimp anything they want to do long term. If anything, they can now take... Bogdanovich's contract and to put that in together in a package to go superstar hunting, whether it's this summer or sometime beyond, right? So that's what was so impressive to me is like they maintained the optionality and flexibility, didn't part with any important picks, which is good mm-hmm. because picks are so hard to come by these days. That's really what's going to get big deals done now. And they still got better on the floor. Like that's wild. And the thing about OG getting surgery is, that is definitely a concern because Tibbs immediately started running that guy into the ground as soon as he got there. Right, everybody's making like Luol Dang Part Two jokes because he's playing so many minutes, and uh, you know they're really trying to get everything they can out of him. So the fact that he quickly went down with this injury uh, is concerning. Like for this entire plan to work, for them to be true winners this season, they need OG healthy and playing great for this playoff push. And there's no question. There's a concern in my mind about how much money does he command this summer, uh, because uh, you know you know that's going to be a handshake deal when you're trading for him so early, and like you kind of got it all figured out. So that could come in as a really big number. But even so, they're going to have enough flexibility because they got Brunson on such a you know a quality value contract a couple summers ago. Even though at the time I wasn't convinced that it actually was a great value that they're not going to be boxed in caps-wise. They're still going to have a lot of potential bigger moves at their disposal. So I just think that they pretty much covered every single base. What more could they have done? And if you compare them to the other teams that are trying to load up at the deadline, they're definitely winners, right? Like Boston, fine move with Tillman, but that's not really going to be a game-changer. I liked it for them. They're a winner in my mind, but, you know, they didn't swing for the fences. Yeah, whatever. The Milwaukee <laughs> getting Patrick Beverly, you know, to fill out their podcast rotations, just brutal, you know? <laughs> <laughs> then, you know, you look at Philly, all they're doing is cutting salary and kind of moving some deck chairs. Miami's biggest move was the Terry Rozier deal. And so, you know, relative to like the kinds of teams that they're going against Cleveland, you know, no, no moves of consequence, like they're winners, because they actually had a talent and nobody else did like their path actually got firmed up to the Eastern Conference finals. So um, I, I appreciated uh, the devil's advocate argument here. I don't think that they're a championship title contender. But I don't think that that was their goal this season. And I think they're right on track to kind of make some real progress based on last year's uh, you know, second round appearance.
1: Yeah. Well, I appreciated the email from Nick because I had a similar reaction to a lot of the celebration of the Boyan Bogdanovich trades on Thursday. I mean, I think there are two separate conversations here where that trade in a vacuum is really good process and and strictly from like an asset management standpoint, I think they did really well. And there's really nothing you can criticize about the move. Um and particularly if you're looking ahead at the next like three or four months. One underplayed story with the Knicks this year, at least outside of New York, is how important Dante DiVincenzo has been. And DiVincenzo historically has struggled to stay healthy. So Boyan gives them a little bit insurance in case DiVincenzo does go down. And it's just a smart move overall. I mean, Alec Burks, I have always loved Alec Burks as a bucket like, getter. Why wouldn't
0: you do this? If Detroit's <laughs> going to be your farm system, do it. But I think your point is, it's still just Bojan, right? That's the thing. I mean,
1: there was a leap to a second conversation about how this elevates the Knicks into a different tier in the Eastern Conference. And we all have to take them more seriously. And I think one of the reasons I was shrugging, I was shrugging at that is because i was taking them seriously before thursday i thought they could make the finals before thursday and i don't know that boyan as a guy off the bench is actually going to change all that much in terms of their long-term future it's like number one they need og brunson and randall be healthy they need randall to not completely flake out like he has in playoff runs of the past And if that happens, and if Mitchell Robinson comes back healthy, then yeah, I mean, this team is going to be a real pain in the ass to play in a seven-game
0: series. That's kind of what I view, though. Let's say Randall's having one of his playoff stinkers, right? And he's going like four for his first 15, and so Tibbs is looking around for answers let's say Bojan hops in there and hits five threes. That's possible. I mean, if he just sits in the corner and just does what he does and shoot those threes, and sometimes in those Eastern Conference series, points are hard to come by, Like, there's a decent chance Bojan just wins them a playoff game because he randomly goes for five or six threes, right? And look, he's going to give some stuff back on the defensive end, um, no question. And so I think it's fair to wonder how much and when will Tibbs really trust him, right? Mm -hmm. Like, is it possible that he's just sort of superfluous um, in the biggest moments? Yeah, because, you know, he is a little bit of a liability defensively. But, um, you know, we've seen, like, there's been times with Milwaukee in the last couple of playoff years, Boston for sure, the last couple of playoff years, definitely Miami, where it's like you just feel like where is the punch going to come from? Is there anybody here who can score the ball at, at certain moments, right? and. You know, kicking to Boyan and expecting him to hit three pointers is like pretty reliable. Like I I'd, I'd feel comfortable with the ball in his hands in those situations. And yep. especially if you're in New York and you know people are going to be loading up on Brunson, right? Like at this point, should we just triple team Brunson? Like
1: during the playoffs? <laughs> that,
0: like Yeah, know? that's so what the Lakers
1: were doing the other night. So yeah, I mean, right.
0: I I'm glad that they made the move.
1: I just wasn't as like gobsmacked as certain people were. Uh, but it was objectively a really good deal. And if there's anything to be gobsmacked at, It's the fact that the Knicks front office continues to make these sensible, incremental decisions uh, that smart front offices make. And so that's one that is still I'm still adjusting to this new reality where the Knicks actually know what they're doing.
0: Um, Question, question, though, because this was a big assist from Troy Weaver. Was this Kevin McHale to the Celtics level helping (laughs) Like are the Pistons – I know they have the Westchester Knicks, right? That's like the G League affiliate for the New York Knicks. Are the Pistons another G League affiliate for the New York Knicks where they're just cycling Alec Burks in and out? It feels like there's been a lot of trades between these two teams. The Pistons, I mean, I'm not sure if you were tracking what they're doing because, you know, why would anybody, but they got rid of Bogdanovich. They got rid of Burks. They got rid of Monty Morris, who was one of their big offseason guys. They had already traded Marvin Bagley, who they had given that money to. They cut Killian Hayes. They cut Joe Harris, which was another big uh, one of their offseason additions. They traded Kevin Knox. There's probably a few other guys that I'm forgetting who are going out for Detroit And as far as I could tell, the only player who's coming in who's going to be part of their longer term vision is Quinton Grimes. This guy's going to have to clone himself four times to fill all these spots on the rotation and the roster of all these players who just went out. Like, this was already the most talent deficient team in the NBA. They just got rid of half their team. And now Quentin Grimes arrives in the Motor City to play four positions simultaneously. What's going on here?
1: All right. And that is the end of the free preview. If you'd like to hear the rest of this episode and get two episodes every week from me, Andrew Sharp and Ben Golliver, you can go to greatestofalltalk.com and subscribe to the show.